0: Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about meaning, purpose, and resilience. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, also known as B, and now let's discover your Defiant Spirit. Here's something you won't hear when people are talking about soulmates. You won't hear it when relationship experts are talking about marriage and how to make it better or what makes it worse. You won't hear it from your friends. You won't hear it certainly from your spouse. I don't think I really ever heard it. I had to come to it through my growth as a man, as a husband, as a counselor, coaching people in general, men in particular. I hear it over and over again. And as I've been doing podcasts around soulmates for nine lives, that's my program with my sister around the Enneagram, where it's about soul contracts and soulmates and what we come here to do. As I've done a podcast recently with my wife and my soulmate, my partner Ariella, we fleshed out this idea, but I wanted to do a conversation about one term, two words that can make or break your marriage or whatever loving intimate relationship you're in. And that comes down to the term, what's the term? Oh yeah, unconditional love. Unconditional love. Now I'm not saying there's not a place and a space for unconditional love. There is. Everybody deserves unconditional love. If you're listening to this, if you're, if you're seeing me and watching this on video uh, while you're watching video, look at me in the eyes or hear me loud and clear. You deserve unconditional love. I hope you got it. Not all of us do. We deserve it. It's our birthright, but that's the point. It's our birthright. It comes from the people who birthed us specifically our mother, but our parents in general. They owe us unconditional love, and you have every right to have expected it. It doesn't mean you got it, right? It means you deserved it, you shouldn't have to earn it. <clears throat> Unfortunately, many of us do. There's nothing you can do about whether you did or didn't. There's only one source, though, of unconditional love, and I say this especially to my men in my men's groups and then the men who I counsel, don't go looking for it from anybody else other than your mother well i take that back there's one other place you can get it and it's not your lover it's not your wife it's your dog so if you have a dog or you have a mother you're gonna either get it from your dog i've never met anybody who doesn't get unconditional love from their dog and also their mother for different reasons you bought your dog your mother brought you here but other than that that's about it now people will say that sounds Harsh. It even sounds off. I mean, B, isn't that what we strive towards? Should aspire to? Should expect in our marriages? Is unconditional love? Or I also hear it with, shouldn't we get it from our children? Let's start with that. No, they do not owe you unconditional love. There's no way you can even expect unconditional love. As I say to my kids all the time, my love for you is unconditional. Your love for me I don't actually care if you love me. I hope I become the man, the father, but my life doesn't change if my kids love me or do. I mean, I, I guess I'd make the argument that it does change, but not because they say it, but because I've been the type of father that has earned it. But I gotta earn that from them. They don't have to earn it from me. I brought them here, kind of, Ariella did the heavy lifting, but, um, but I, I still am their parent and I I owe them unconditional love. But to expect it from your children will do great damage to your children. Now, they owe me um, respect, right? And that, again, requires that I do some minimal things to, to, to earn that respect. But that's something I would argue that they do owe me as a parent, not just because it's me. That aside, I shouldn't expect or even strive for unconditional love from them, from my siblings, from my best friends, from the people in my lives, and especially not from Ariella. Not from my wife, not from your spouse. But how can you say that, B? I mean, again, unconditional love. Isn't that what marriage is all about? Unequivocally and absolutely not. And that has gotten so many couples into so much heartache and heartbreak and caused divorce or done damage to families, like almost nothing else. I would argue that it's just as bad as infidelity, and I think there's a direct correlation. So why? Why is that? Well, let me just take you to and through a Jewish wedding. As many of you know, I was a rabbi for a long time. I officiated at weddings as part of my my deal. And um, by the way, I always preferred funerals over weddings, just saying. Why? Why? Because uh, my job at a funeral was to simply frame the meaning that was there, and people were ready to experience it with broken hearts, open hearts. And weddings in this day and age are very contrived. I mean, oftentimes the bride and the groom have lived with each other for two years, which is why um, the mother of the bride tends to get so worked up about the ice sculpture, caring more about that than they do about the rabbi or the clergy that they've hired, or that the candies match the wedding gown or what have you. Whereas funerals, they're just raw, they're real. You don't do anything at a Jewish funeral to beautify it. You just get into it and you um, feel your way through the darkness together to discover meaning. It's harder to do that at a contrived wedding. However, what I did like um, instead of the wedding, because, you know, when you go to a Jewish wedding, you get there for the chuppah, the wedding canopy, and everybody's, you know, singing and clapping and dancing and you get straight to the celebration. The wedding already took place. The wedding happened before the wedding. We don't tell this because we don't want to, uh, you know, sort of spoil the, the drama. Will she accept the ring? Won't she accept the ring? No. We signed a contract. It's called a ketubah. You don't have to be Jewish to sign a contract. You do this in secular weddings. We all do. I have a secular contract and I have a religious contract but that's the point they're both contracts and the last I checked contracts by definition mean it's conditional you don't sign a contract around unconditional love I don't sign my, make my kids sign anything to come into this world I brought them here so I owe them that um, conditional means unconditional love and that's what a contract is it's one big conditional statement if then If you don't show up and take care of me in the way that I define being taken care of, then I'm going to go find somebody who will. If you put your member in another person's being, then I'm leaving you. Right? If you stoop somebody else, I'm out. So the bottom line is we have all kinds of conditionals. Maybe that's your conditional. Most people I know that's a deal breaker. Everybody has deal breakers. I work with people sometimes who say, I don't need a piece of paper to profess my love for my partner, for my spouse um, by name only, not by paper. No problem. Fine. But they have conditionals. They're just not written down. But let's just be honest. By definition, grown-up love means conditional love. And frankly, the more conditions you have, the more loving it is. Let me just say that again, because this blows, I think, a lot of guys' minds because of silly soulmate love. You know, we have this Disney, we have this this rom-com image of unconditional love, right? You complete me, says Jerry Maguire, or the woman in Jerry Maguire. Nonsense. Garbage. You don't want to be completed by another person. My sister, Rebecca, shared this in a podcast we did the other day. That's codependency, that's unhealthy relationships. I want somebody, well, I have somebody in Ariella who is complete, and I'm complete, and we come together, and we're not one plus one equals two. We're infinite plus times infinite equals infinite, infinity, synergy. It's beyond the sum of our parts. That's what we need to be looking for, but you can't find that in a doggy-owner relationship or in a mommy-child relationship. I'm not saying that doesn't have its place, just not in the bedroom and not when you sign a contract because a contract is about respect and a contract is about boundaries and a contract is about reciprocity, which is why Ariella and I have more details to our contract than I have with anybody else in my life. For the record, I have one marriage contract, but we have all kinds of unspoken contracts with employees and coworkers and clients and, and friends and family but it's a diminishing set of fine print, right? My duties to my sister are less than my duties to my wife. My duties to my my employees or whomever are going down further and further of what I owe them and what they owe me. And what violates you know the contract or nullifies the contract? Ariel and I have so many stipulations. Now, it doesn't mean that you weaponize it. It doesn't mean you have to walk around Reading it off on, you know, it says in Article 22a, sub point one, that you would bring me not flowers on Valentine's Day, but white lilies to symbolize blah, blah, blah. That's just craziness. What I'm talking about is all of the unspoken expectations and rules and obligations that don't trap me. They liberate me. Why? Because what as I always say, I go to Starbucks, unfortunately, too much. And the barista and I have a very minimal contract. I give her my $17, which is what it feels like these days. And she gives me my double tall half-calf soy latte. And it's pretty hard to screw that up. And it's pretty hard for me to, you know, not swipe my card, and that's it. And we have a great day. And our relationship is about yay deep. It's it's nothing. Ariella and I have all these obligations and stipulations, and our relationship goes as deep as they come. The love of my life and soulmate, I believe with every ounce of my being past 25 years, only in incarnate form, but be with her before, and she stuck with me after this. The bottom line is, soulmate love is contractual love. It's stipulated love. Now, it doesn't mean you will be with your soulmate. I mean, Wayne Dyer has this great teaching that he says to his wife one day, you know, would you love me if I didn't have all these bestseller books? I mean, would you love me, not just about the bestseller books, but be the type of guy who gets up and writes these books. I mean, would you love me if I laid on the couch and, you know, just, I I was just my authentic self, right? Everybody loves their authentic self. And she said, of course i would love you wayne i would miss you but i would love you okay fine you know if that's what you mean by unconditional love i'm not talking about that i'm talking about in the relationship committed to the relationship yes loving maybe doesn't have the conditions but for me to stick around for me to participate i'm going to have to have conditions why why is it so important why is it actually not diminishing the love but expanding the love because the love between a husband and the wife, the love between two committed lovers, according to Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism is the highest form of love. The highest form of love is not parent-child, is not doggy and owner. That is a vertical relationship. That is a power differential. Or, you know, employee uh, employer. These are different types of power structures. But a husband and a wife, two lovers who are committed in monogamy, that is a... um, And equals. And it doesn't mean everything's the same. You have different roles, you have different obligations and expectations, but there is an equivalence. If there's not, it's not sustainable and it won't last. And if it's not, we're doing a disservice both to ourselves and to our partner. So, as an example, I work with guys all the time who grow resentful, especially when I work with them in the second half of life, of all the obligations and all the duties and all the responsibilities and all the burdens that keep them from being free from going out into the world and roaming, if you know what I mean. Or maybe it's not just infidelity and you know playing around and spicing it up and having a good time. Maybe it's you know picking up and leaving or going down to Florida and you know leaving their kids behind, whatever it might be. That is the beginning of the end if you are a man. Women, yes, but it's a different set of issues. I'm telling you, from personal experience, you want to destroy your life, then start lopping off responsibilities and duties and obligations. Why? Because those things, as Dr. Frankel, my teacher mentor, says, are what keep you in your, they ground you. They keep you grounded. That's how you find meaning and purpose in Israel, there's lots of Roman arches from 2,000 years ago. And when they start to fall apart, do you know what they do to strengthen the arch? They put weight on the arch. They give it more burden, not less, because the the sand between the stones is starting to loosen. And so those bricks will start falling out. Those stones will start falling out. It's counterintuitive, but they put more burden, not less, on the arch. The same is true with a man. The moment you start cutting out Burden or obligation or responsibility is the beginning of the end. I've seen it time and again. I saw it with my dad. He started cutting out relationships, marriage and friendships, even family. He got further and further from his roots. The philosopher Will Herberg calls it cut flower syndrome. Flowers are dead the moment you cut them. They look pretty, but start the clock ticking because the death countdown is happening and so the same is true when it comes to obligation and responsibility and yes conditions. Conditions strengthen us they don't diminish us and so as men in particular or yeah, men in particular, women in general, um, men and women in general it isn't the obligations or the conditions that we put on love that are the problem. It's when we go into the relationship thinking that that other person owes us something, regardless of what we do, regardless of the man or the person that we have become. No, I didn't sign up for that. When I started out on this journey with you, this is what we said, this is what we agreed to, this is who you were. I'm not telling you to change. All I'm telling you is that's the man, that's the person that I said yes to. And if you can't return to that, that's your choice. That's what I expected, that's what I expect, and that's what I need. And I say that to you not as an act of abandonment, I say that to you as an act of love. Why is that an act of love, particularly to men? Because they need to be held accountable. They need to work for it on every level. The moment we stop demanding excellence from our partner is the mo- is the beginning of the end. We start allowing for these st- behaviors to slip, and it's the slippery slope. I am not saying to, what's a nice word to say, way to say it, a henpeck. I'm not saying to be critical. I'm not saying to um, nitpick. What I'm talking about is each other, and this goes both ways, holding each other accountable for the man or the woman that we could be, that we should be, that we aspire to be. Not that they aspire for us to be, but the one that we, in our heart of hearts, know that I, Bar Halevi, could be and should be. And what I did at the beginning of our marriage was, whether I said it or not, I asked Ariella to hold that for me as my true self. And if I veer from that, what I need from you, Ariella, is to hold me accountable, is to make things conditional. And yes, things in my household are conditional. And if I don't deliver, then you either, as an act of love to yourself, Ariella, because you deserve these things, or as an act of love to me, you need to give me a process to correct, you need to give me time to do the work, but eventually we all have to have our conditional lines where this is a line I won't cross, never again, because if I cross it, I lose me, and then there's just two halves making a whole, and that's codependency. And so, Ariella, hold me accountable to that man. Hold that vision for me even when I lose it. And I have lost it for myself at times, many times. But that's a soulmate. She has conditions. And she comes back to that contract and she says, Baruch, this ain't it. And here's who you are, but here's how you're acting. And unless we can bring those two things back into alignment, then we're going in separate directions. And I've asked her to please protect herself and I will do the same on my end to not lose herself down my hole of craziness or and I won't lose myself I will hold the center I will not cross that line and I will try to inspire her not coerce her back to her center and I will ask her to inspire me not coerce me back to my center but if there comes a point in time where we can't get there it's called a marriage contract and we dissolve this thing so that we don't destroy each other because that's not true love. Love is conditional. The most loving relationships we have are the most conditional relationships we have. I'm sure I didn't hit all my points, but you can tell. I'm pretty passionate about this, and you should be too. Unconditional love has no place in the bedroom. Has no place in um, mutual, reciprocal relationships. Has no place between true soulmates. Yes, you have many soulmates, but I'm talking about capital H, her, and I'm talking about capital H, him, and I'm talking about coming together with that one person and saying to him or her, yes, I do, comma, but, 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 right? Yes, I will, asterisks, read the fine print. There is nothing wrong with the fine print. There is everything right with drilling down into the details of your relationship. No, you don't become a lawyer and turn back to it day after day. But in a good, healthy relationship, you don't have to because I know where the boundaries are. I know where mine are. I know where hers are. And I know what I can cross because not all boundaries are the same. But a true boundary, a red line, is something that I can't cross or it's not me. She can't cross or it's not her, and we can't cross because it's not we. And that is conditional soulmate love. I'm sure there's more. I'm sure I'll hear about it. I'm sure I've stepped on a lot of toes and violated a lot of, um, you know, Things that just people are sensitive to, good. My job in life is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I try and do both. I'm an Enneagram 8. I tend towards the, uh, as Ariella says, you're really good at afflicting the comfortable. You might want to work on comforting the afflicted. Well, there you go. I'm sure I will afflict you again and again and again. But I'm also happy for you to reach out to me so that I can provide some comfort as well. Until the next time, defy your number and live your spirit. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.